We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I've got some clients that say, if we test for marijuana, we're not going to have any employees, right? Because we know that our, for example, millennial workforce likely is using marijuana. So they're not even pre-employment testing for marijuana anymore. That's the voice of Scott Cruz, an employment attorney helping Chicago-area employers navigate legal marijuana. This is WBBM's In-Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. I'm Cisco Kodu. This week, we're checking back in on the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana. How are things progressing now that we are nearly two months into legalization? What's the impact on workplaces? What kind of legal issues and liabilities have come up along the way? We'll also talk about social equity. That's a key component of the legislation. Is it living up to all of the expectations? First, though, let's discuss the rollout and the business side of legal marijuana. The state says it is making lots of money off of this. Bob Reed joins us. He is business writer and contributor at Chicago Magazine. Bob, the state says tens of millions of dollars in sales means lots of tax dollars. Yeah, it sure is. It got off to a pretty strong start when you look at basically $40 million in sales, and of that, about $10.5 million in tax revenues that Illinois was able to take in for the month of January. Now, the state has been sort of lowballing its expectations, and it wanted to see maybe $28 million in revenues by the end of this fiscal year. Uh, considering this strong start, it looks like it will exceed that. Uh, and then when you start looking ahead, the governor is counting on something like $127 million in uh, state tax revenues coming from the cannabis legalized cannabis business. Uh, that's not chump change, but it's still not as big a, a number as some other states have been looking for. And I'm wondering if as this gets more and more popular, more and more states are doing this, if that's what we're going to see, sort of like with gambling, once just about every state is doing it, then then there's not the tourism dollars specifically for that industry. Well, in this situation in Illinois, you know, the demand is outstripping the supply so far, and they expect that to continue probably well into the first year. But then you're absolutely right. You're going to start bumping into the real business questions that any new industry encounters, even uh, one like this. So that's going to be, you know, the people who are investing, when are they going to stop investing and wanting to take profits? Uh, when will some of the companies that are out there and maybe not number one or two in their market decide that they need to merge or uh, be acquired? There's going to be a lot of business decisions that will have to be made as uh, this goes on. The state loves, obviously, the revenue. That's the main reason for it happening. But it does seem like you will have a new industry that will grow and grow, and that will mean jobs that otherwise wouldn't exist. 
I think that's right. I mean, you're already looking at something like over 200,000 people will be employed. That's up like 34% from before uh, last year. In addition to that, I happened to go on the job boards uh, before we talked and looked at some of the jobs that are being posted in the industry. There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, probably not to the surprise of many, they're looking for people who can grow marijuana, uh, cultivate it, but they're also looking for people who can navigate the halls of Springfield, either as regulators or having some idea of how to lobby um, Springfield in order to get what they need. Easy. Maybe we can't figure this out until we get more data, but I, I could see other businesses, say, for example, restaurants, saying, yeah, okay, there's all this $40-some million spent on weed, but that's money that is not spent in our businesses. And so in the end, maybe this isn't a net growth industry for the state. Yeah, that remains to be seen, but obviously the alcohol producers are concerned about it. And uh, a while back, one of the major brewers said that uh, legalized marijuana consumption was the biggest threat to the alcohol business. And that's one of the reasons why you're seeing uh, the alcohol beverage companies starting to take an ownership stake or partnership stake in these legalized uh, marijuana companies, particularly up in Canada, which has become sort of a test laboratory because uh, in, up there you don't have uh, as many federal restrictions. And they're getting a sense of how they can uh, infuse uh, cannabis flavors and such into different types of products and whether they're able to put it into drinks and they're even testing that. So definitely big alcohol is looking at it. I suspect big uh, tobacco will do the same thing, uh, particularly considering the marketing prowess of the tobacco companies. They'll be wanting to get in on this. And big pharmaceuticals, too. You know, medical marijuana is something they probably want to test out. You mentioned all of the money that the state's brought in, not quite uh, necessarily going to rise to the level of what ultimately is budgeted, but, but still a lot of revenue. Is that just going to the general fund for the state's regular bills? Is that going to pensions? Or, or I mean, I guess the money could really flow around to a variety of places. Yeah, it, it's getting cut up. Uh, I think 45% of it just goes to administrative costs of taking care of this business, but then 35% goes into general revenue. Uh, 10% goes into the unpaid bills that Illinois has, so a lot of vendors and creditors to the state should be happy about that. Local government gets a cut, and then there's a small amount that goes into public health. Uh, like any of these vice, uh, I guess uh, you'd call them what, vice taxes or whatever it may be, whether it's yeah, gambling or taxes. alcohol yeah. or marijuana, you have to put some money aside uh, to take care of those who uh, use it to excess. And that's where we won't know for a while. Maybe it's intangible, too. Maybe you can't really calculate it. The public health costs, what it actually costs the state to take care of people who uh, they decide that they're going to do weed too much and end up causing problems. Well, and there is a thinking here that uh, by legalizing it, you'll be able to get a much better handle on that situation. And that's something you have to consider because, you know, there still is a sizable black market out there. And what we haven't seen is how this is all going to shake out legalized versus the traditional black market, if you will. And will people prefer to go to the black market because they don't want to pay the taxes or they think legalized marijuana is too expensive? Uh, remains to be seen. So, you know, this hasn't shaken out yet. We've got a long way to go before we realize uh, what kind of business it's going to become. Yeah, you know, interesting. And later on, we'll, we'll talk with a lawyer about this. But it's sort of interesting. If you buy weed illegally, it's not like cigarettes where you see the stamp and you know that they were legally purchased. With weed, if you just kind of have it in a bag, who knows whether I got it from uh, one of the uh, places that's authorized to sell it or if I got it from some guy on the corner. 
That's the argument for legalization, that there is quality control, that you have people who are looking at the product and testing it and making sure that it isn't a public health hazard. Uh, you're absolutely right. You know, if you buy it on a street corner, uh, all, all bets are off. You don't know what you're getting necessarily. So the state is making a lot of money as demand is high for legal marijuana. That's creating problems in the workplace as more and more employees are smoking or otherwise ingesting cannabis. What are employers to do? We talked with Scott Cruz, an employment attorney at Clark Hill here in Chicago. He was a guest with Jennifer Kuyper and me on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Scott, it's good to have you back on the show. Uh, for employers, obviously this is delicate. They want to make sure that they are following the law. Talk about some of the difficulties of the fact that this is legal. People can do this legally in Illinois, and yet employers don't want people high in the workplace. Yeah, it's quite a, um interesting feat for employers determining, do we even want to test for marijuana, right? I've got some clients that say, if we test for marijuana, we're not going to have any employees, Right, because we know that our, for example, millennial workforce likely is using marijuana. So they're not even pre-employment testing for marijuana anymore. But then there's the other side that says, well, we're in the manufacturing industry and we have folks that drive, you know, forklifts and are safety sensitive positions. We have to test for marijuana for safety reasons, for workers' comp reasons. Um, so there's, you know, the two sides of the coin here, depending on what industry you're in. So what are the employers able to do, given the fact that uh, tests don't necessarily mean you are high right now? It means that you've either ingested it, smoked it, something in, in say, the last couple of days or something like that. What are employers able to do to determine whether someone is high right now on the job site? So the law is uh, very employer-friendly, actually, and it gives employers quite um, discretion in terms of determining whether or not someone is impaired or under the influence. And it really is no different than what we were doing before. Um, so if an employer has reasonable suspicion or good faith belief that I'm impaired or under the influence, they can request that and mandate that I submit to a uh, a drug test. And if that drug test comes back positive, they can terminate my employment for that. Um, similarly, with the pre-employment drug testing uh, for any applicants, if an applicant tests positive, even with medicinal marijuana, because it's treated the same as recreational marijuana, so long as you have a written policy that states we are a zero-tolerance, drug-free workplace, if I, test pe- if I test positive for my pre-employment drug test, you can withdraw the offer, legally do so, and not be worried about being sued. What are the most common questions that companies ask you? So I think that's really it in terms of can we continue pre-employment drug testing? Because there was a lot of question um, when, the, when, the, when the statute first was came out back in, in June of last year. Um, and as of December 4th, 2019, when Governor Pritzker signed several amendments to the statute, he clarified a couple things. And the first thing he clarified is with pre-employment drug testing, you don't need reasonable suspicion to withdraw an offer. And that makes sense. When would you ever have reasonable suspicion with an applicant unless they walked into your office just reeking of marijuana? The law now says pre-employment drug testing, test positive, you can withdraw an offer. Second major thing was with random drug testing. Prior to December 4th, uh, there was a lot of confusion as to do we need reasonable suspicion with random drug testing? And again, the same problem with pre-employment when are you ever going to have reasonable suspicion with random drug testing, right? Everybody with the last name letter C, you take a drug test. You're never going to have that. So Governor Pritzker, again, on December 4th, said you no longer need reasonable suspicion for this random drug testing. Random drug testing, test positive, you can, withdraw, you can terminate or discipline someone. 
for reasonable suspicion testing in terms of my supervisors observing me right throughout the day comes to you and says, I think Scott may be high. He needs to have a drug test. Um, you test positive. The issue there is you can test positive. We can discipline or terminate you, but you have to give me before you do that an opportunity to rebut that presumption and say, I think you're wrong. Let's get more on how employers are juggling people who are legally smoking or ingesting marijuana while also working for them. And and there's other liability concerns as well. Jeff Kroll is with us now. He is an attorney and partner at Caveney and Kroll here in Chicago. Jeff, does this in some way compare to alcohol now that weed is legal? I can drink alcohol. I'm I'm old enough to drink alcohol. If I show up to work every day hammered, you know, I could say, hey, legally, I can drink this. And that's fine, but you're gone from a job if it's going to impair your ability to work. You know, it's nice being the boss. So, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah you can't, yeah, you, you don't have to worry about firing yourself, yeah, right? Yeah, that's good. No, but it's, there's a difference between medicinal and recreational. And just because Illinois has recognized today that recreational is okay, doesn't give you a, a pass to show up to work high or stoned. Now, how tough, though, for employers, because unlike alcohol, where whether it's a breathalyzer, blood test, whatever it is, you can know this is the level that someone is is has drunk. You know, this is this is where they are. This is the legal level, what have you. You just can't do that with marijuana. Someone may have smoked a day or two before and it's still going to pop up in a test. You're exactly right. It's a slippery slope for employers. I think what employers need to do in today's society is set out guidelines, set out the rules, the policies. Here's what we'll tolerate. Here's what we won't. Um, And then it's up to that individual if they want to comply with those guidelines. It's not free reign. Just because something is now you can smoke pot legally doesn't mean you could show up to work legally. It, it's, you know, can you imagine if now our surgeons are showing up, you know, yeah, just to take the buzz off a little bit, I, I you know, take the edge off. I, I got high this morning. They don't get a free pass. They're still going to be held accountable. I'll tell you the employers I'm worried about um, as far as lawsuits are concerned, and I do plaintiff's personal injury law, it's these truckers or these the cab drivers or what have you. I'm thinking school bus drivers. Everything. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what? I've been I've been in some Ubers. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not going to say they were high, but. Even before it was legalized, yeah, right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's a, I keep saying slippery slope because we don't know yet where this is going to wind up. And it's a little spooky out there right now. And then I can just imagine these cases where if uh, an employee is fired and the employers as well, they had bloodshot eyes or I smelled it on them or whatever, but there's no objective test that says this person was impaired on this day at the office. I imagine this tangled web of lawsuits all over the place with judges having to figure out you know, what's right, what's wrong, who's against the law, who's not. It's just going to be really tough. Well, the tougher part, I think, is for an employer, because once they suspect someone may be high or smoking, they're now on notice. And if that individual is driving a bus, driving a truck, doing whatever, and they get in an accident, this company is in trouble because they're on notice that this individual had a propensity to, to smoke pot, to do whatever, and they did nothing about it. So that's where this employer-employee relationship is going to get ugly. Sure, there's going to be some lawsuits about wrongful discharge or I, I shouldn't have been fired. Um, my bigger concern from a societal point of view is what happens when a company has notice. Let's talk about the employer and give them some advice 
because they're still kind of navigating this and not quite sure if an employer calls you and says, hey, what should I do? Well, let's start with that, with the employer. We'll talk about the employee, too. What kind of advice do you give to employers for navigating this now that it's legal and it's not going anywhere? You know, if if, if you're an employer, you, you set the rules, you set the boundaries. Um, I don't know if you can drug test in today's society as easily as you could 10, 15, 20 years ago, but... You know, you, you've got to set the rules. You cannot come in here intoxicated. You can't come in here high. You can't, you know, you've got to set these rules because if there are no rules and it's just a wink, wink, you're not going to do this. I think the employer is going to be in a lot of trouble down the road. What about the employee? What would you say to an employee that says, hey, I love my job. I want to keep my job, but I also love my pot and I want to play around with that a little bit. Well, there's a place for pot and I'm, I'm you know, from nine to five, I don't know if that's the place for it. Um, what you do on your free time on weekends especially today in Illinois where recreational um, smoking a pot is perfectly legal and edibles and there's a number of other things we can delve into. But it, my biggest concern is driving because I, mean, I know we're talking employer-employee right now, but there's so many different avenues where litigation is potentially at risk. For years, we had distracted driving with you know alcohol, people drinking alcohol. Then we've got the cell phones where, I mean, I, I was driving today downtown. I saw a woman putting on makeup on the Eisenhower Expressway. Expressway. It, it's it's sad, but now we've got pot. Now we've got the smoking of pot. And to put things in perspective, to give you an idea, if someone's traveling 60 miles an hour, they're traveling roughly 90 feet per second. If, if they're a little disoriented or kind of loopy and out of it, stoned, in five seconds, they're traveling a football field and a half. And that's what concerns me, not only as an attorney, but as a parent, um, as a member of society. Those are the things that scare me. There are people who are doing this for the very first time. They've never had an edible. They've never smoked it. Uh, They follow the law. And so now the law says that they can do it and they are doing it. I'd imagine there have to be some people who just don't know yet uh, like they do with alcohol I, I can have one glass of wine but don't give me two or you know i i can have, I have i can have one scotch but don't give me two but they just don't know yet what they can consume what they can smoke and still in some way function well whether it's at work or whether it's just at home well in and edibles <clears throat> excuse me edibles are a scary topic because like you said it, it looks like candy tastes like tastes great there's no smoke per se I'm not smoking, so I'm doing nothing wrong. Not messing up your lungs. Not yeah. messing up my lungs, but boy. And and today, with our with, with the youth in our society that are experimenting, I mean, this is a recipe for disaster. It really is, especially if they get behind a wheel. Um, you know, I don't want to sound like one of those guys get off my grass because, you know, I, you know, we all did stuff growing up. And we all, sur- most of us survived. <laughs> but these edibles and, and what have you, the youth don't have any clue of the impact, and then they're going to drive home. They're thinking, "Okay, I took one edible. I took you know whatever. Yeah, I'm one fine. little gummy, no one, big deal, right? One Come gummy, on. no yeah. big deal. Next thing you know, you know, and and they're 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 disoriented. There's statistics out there. There's physiological effects of when you're taking these um, drugs about how it impacts you. It's factual, but you know when you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty, there, there's no laws for them. There's no rules. You know, they're, they're safe. And what about just around the house, too? If mom and dad may have some of those edibles. If they're not making sure that they are locked up and, and really out of the kids' hands, kids, whether they're teenagers or even younger, can get into this stuff. 
Yeah, there there was um there was a new law a couple of years ago that came into place with um, Illinois for alcohol, where if the parents know or provided alcohol to underage drinkers, they could be financially liable. I think we're going to see that same issue coming up now with with edibles. I mean, they look so harmless. They look like something you can get at Jewel. Well, and attractive to kids, too. It's candy. It's right? candy. It's chocolate or it's a gummy. And kids are drawn to that. I mean, my kids want to eat a whole bunch of their vitamins because they look so fun and they, they like the way that they taste. And mom and dad have to say, no, you cannot eat the whole bottle of vitamins just because it tastes good. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, it's the same with some of these alcohols out there now that um, drawing a blank on what they're called, but they're different flavors. They're fruit flavors. The seltzers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The mm-hmm. seltzers. And um, they're attractive to kids. These these taste good. I won't get buzzed. I won't get drunk. You know, they just don't know. Until you do. Yeah. yeah. So it's just basically brave new world. Things are different here in Illinois. No going back. And all of these things are going to have to get worked out. Some of it will be at the state level. Some of it will be guys like you in the courtroom dealing with this. Uh, going to be a lot of legal challenges over the next several months and, and really over the next several years as we sort all this out. The issues for individuals who are taking part in legalized recreational marijuana, also for their employers, they're thorny. They're not going to be completely sorted out anytime soon. There are also challenges for businesses that are involved in the cultivation and sale of recreational marijuana. One of those is Cresco Labs. Cresco has five dispensaries open in Illinois right now. They have five more on the way, and they expect to have those online within about six months. Jason Erkes is a spokesman for Cresco Labs. Jason, how has it gone here? We're about two months into this legalized recreational marijuana experiment. I think it's gone really well. The numbers uh, we're seeing with limited supply and limited dispensaries open around the state uh, really position Illinois to be one of the the most successful markets uh, in the country for cannabis. And when we say uh, limited supply, have we reached a point where demand is outstripping supply already? Are we not at that point yet? You know, everybody knew during this kind of soft launch that uh, there were going to be some supply constraints, but all the cultivators around the, the state of Illinois, including ours, are, uh, are ramping up their production facilities and really getting ready to, to uh, supply the market with a lot more supply come spring. So you're seeing new supply come to market uh, pretty much every week, and we really think by spring the, uh, the supply will, uh, will be able to outpace the demand. As it continues to get ramped up, talk about this for a moment, because I don't think a lot of people are aware of the fact that Pretty much everything has to be done here in Illinois. It's not like you can bring weed in from other places and sell it here. It's all got to be done in Illinois. Right, absolutely. Seed to sale. There's essentially a wall up around the state of Illinois. Everything has to be grown, uh, processed, manufactured, uh, tested, and sold and consumed in the state, which, uh, you know, uh, isn't very uh, easy for any business, uh, especially a business that revolves around agriculture, right? So we have to grow things. It's not like we can just ramp up our manufacturing. We actually have to wait for plants to grow. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a challenge, but we're operational in 11 states and have these little siloed businesses in every state, and uh, it's going really well. Talk about the regulation, the care that is taken in growing. Uh, a lot of people, when they think of marijuana, any sort of cannabis, they think of the stuff on the street. But as I'm understanding it, there are a lot of safeguards in place here. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're a compliance-focused company, and this is really one of the most regulated programs uh, there is in the country. So things are grown here. They're, they're tested. Uh, they're manufactured in a very controlled environment. Uh, they're dose-regulated, which means, you know, when you buy something one week at a store and you have a result from it, when you consume it next time from that store, the same product, you're going to get the same result. So, uh, you know, I think even in things like the wake of the vape crisis that our country was seeing and people were very concerned about things they were buying in the illicit market, uh, now they can have confidence and they know uh, where their products are coming from. They know where they're manufactured. They know what's in them. And they know where to go if there's an issue. So, uh, you know, the regulations uh, really benefit everyone, the companies uh, and the consumers. We saw the first day that you could buy it, just lines around the corner with people wanting to, to go ahead and try this. Are you still seeing the sustained demand or, or, or are we still seeing that here several weeks later? You know, we had up to seven-hour lines uh, for the first couple of days in that first weekend uh, right after January 1st. Now the lines have died down to, you know, probably to peak around two or three hours at most of our stores around the state. But, uh, you know, people are coming out. They're waiting. Uh, they're excited to take part in history and, you know, to be able to buy and explore legal cannabis products. You know, the, the options for what you can buy are far greater than what you can buy from an illicit dealer. So uh, people that are cannabis consumers or want to learn and, and get educated on cannabis, you know, are willing to wait to come into a, a regulated dispensary and, uh, and take advantage of it. And is that some of the reasons for people to buy it at a regulated dispensary? I'm thinking with the cost and the taxes, I could still some people uh, still see some people saying, hey, it's a lot cheaper for me to get it from the guy I used to get it from. But it sounds like you're saying there's some benefits from not doing that. Well, there's definitely benefits. I mean, you know what you're getting, first of all. There's a safety component to anything you're buying from a regulated marketplace versus, uh, you know, somewhere on the street. I mean, that goes for food, too. You buy something from a, a food stand on the corner, you don't know if the person washed their hands and, if you know, it was uh, prepared in a clean environment versus the, the labs and the cultivation facilities in Illinois, you know, that are tested by the state and the product is tested for contaminants. So, you know, there's that, but there's also doing something that's legal. It's buying something in a legal marketplace, contributing to the tax base here in Illinois, and, uh, you know, just doing things the right way. What's the challenge as a business trying to follow the law? Obviously, it's highly regulated. You have the state of Illinois embracing this. You still have the feds, uh, we, we will say, not exactly embracing it. I mean, they're not cracking down, but they're not exactly embracing it. So as a, a business owner, uh, the, the people running Cresco, it's kind of a tightrope that they're walking here. Well, you know, we know state by state what the uh, what the rules and regulations are, and uh, you know, we're pretty confident that the federal government is not going to start enforcing things that the states have decided are legal. Uh, of course, that could change, but uh, right now we feel like we operate in a very comfortable spot with uh, the state regulations that are in place, and uh, we follow all those compliance guidelines and follow the rules, and uh, you know, really operated in a very regulated and controlled environment. Do you see? Does Cresco see this? continuing to grow, increased demand, and, you know, it's just going to be something that more and more people are wanting to take advantage of. Is there a ceiling on this thing? There's some people who are going to say, well, you know, I'm just not quite comfortable with that yet. It'll take some time. Sure. And, you know, we definitely see that. And for every person that says I'm not comfortable with it, there's five people raising their hands saying I haven't tried cannabis in, uh, in 20 or 30 years or I've never tried it. And now that it's legal, I want to explore it. I want to explore it for wellness benefits, to help sleep better, to help deal with some pain issues I'm having, or just to escape and relax a little bit at the end of the day. So I think as people educate themselves on the benefits of cannabis, especially in a controlled uh, environment, uh, more consumers are going to come into the marketplace and, and want to experiment a little bit. There are states all over the country that are really keeping a watchful eye on what's happening here in Illinois to see how things go and what issues might come up. And, uh, you know, being that there haven't been any issues and it's been a pretty effective and smooth rollout, 
I think it's giving these other states confidence to pursue legalization through the legislative process and uh, and add cannabis to their state as well. And lots of jobs created here. Is that what Cresco is seeing? We touched earlier on the fact that everything has to be done here in Illinois. We've pledged to double our workforce uh, from the time the law was passed until the time uh, you know we get all of our our facilities in the state up and running. So that brings us from about 300 to 600 workers in the state of Illinois here alone between our corporate office, our three cultivation and manufacturing facilities, and our uh, our 10 dispensaries that will be licensed. So uh, we're hiring at a, a rapid pace, uh, everything from people to work in the corporate office to people to work uh, as wellness advisors behind the counters in our store, educating uh, consumers that want to come in. In just a few moments, we're going to talk with someone from Gromentum Lab, and they are all about the social equity aspect of the weed business, getting minority business owners involved in, especially those who have been in neighborhoods impacted by the war on drugs. How does that impact Cresco? How are they involved in the social equity aspect of this? Sure. I mean, the law was really a social justice and social equity initiative. And, uh, you know, it's great the state is starting uh, to see revenue. But, you know, what it's doing is also getting more people involved in the, in, uh, in the industry uh, through the social equity applications. Uh, we've operated uh, two incubator programs, one where we incubated people uh, that want to apply for a dispensary license with the social equity application. And we have incubated people for the craft grow uh, and infuser licenses that want to apply as a social equity applicant. And, you know, all told, I think we had uh, about 40 people apply for social equity uh, dispensaries. And it's really, they're working with our staff here, our licensed experts, our legal team, uh, our banking team, our security team, uh, to put forth the best application they can to be able to enter this industry. And, you know, we're really happy to be able to, uh, to, to help out and, uh, and give back and provide opportunities for people to get into this industry. Let's move more fully into the social equity aspect of this legalized weed story. Amy Nathan is with us. Amy is executive director with Gromentum Lab here in Chicago. Amy, a lot of people are not thinking about social equity when they think about this story, though that was a big part of the way the law was written. What have we seen here over the nearly two months that weed has been legalized here in Illinois? What was in the law and how is it actually working out? Good, good question. So... Social equity was at the, really the cornerstone of this law. It talked about it on many different levels. It talked about, uh, number one, expunging the records of people who were incarcerated, or even if they didn't get incarcerated, but they were convicted or arrested for these crimes that are no longer considered crimes. So number one, expunging all of that. Maybe that's more of the social justice rather than equity perspective, but still... Also talked about getting a more diverse, more representative of the state of Illinois ownership structure in place. So that's everything from working in the industry to ultimately owning in the industry. The industry had something like 95, 96 percent white male ownership, real dominant that way. And what the legislator said was, no, what we wanted this to do is we want to make it reflect really what the state of Illinois looks like. And so that's the way that they built it. But that is something that's going to take a little time, right? If I understand oh, yeah. right, at least up front, that wasn't necessarily the case. I mean, it was still a lot of white male ownership. Right. Yeah. Most recently, what happened was there was a big discussion about that because the state has required that it's remain a very highly regulated industry. And the only ones that were actually capable of delivering to the level of quality as per the regulations were the existing companies. So those existing companies got the option to duplicate what they were doing. And so for so that they could really meet the requirements and the the demand on January 1st. And so they did that. And that, again, only reinforced 
that lopsided nature of things. So just to, to your point, yes, it will take a while. It will, won't really start that we see more diversity and ownership structure until May 1st. And then again, J- July 1st, when those new licenses are actually announced. And what will the challenge be for those minority business owners? They'll be playing catch up. They're at least six months behind, if not more than that. Yeah, they're way behind more than just six months because they've, they've, they're new to the business and they don't have these skill sets to begin with. So they are running very fast and we don't know exactly who those are going to be. And in fact, we don't know. Your first question was about how has that really played out? Well, on one hand, we don't really know because those decisions haven't been made. Um, a lot of people, we were very encouraged though, because there was a really high incidence of the number of people applications that were received that were considered or qualified as social equity. On the other hand, we also have heard a lot of stories anecdotally that there's a lot of predatory partnering going on. And so when push comes to shove and we really see who wins and who's announced as a winner, I guess the proof will be in the pudding to see who really winds up in that space. It seems like if there aren't minority members of the community already involved in this, that that uh, you know, predatory partnering or, or the you know people coming together to to do business together seems like that's only a natural temptation because they're going, hey, you know how to do this, and you need me because you need a minority. It is, you know, it is owner, natural. And yeah, yeah, you're right. It is natural because the person who is a minority and minority is not really the best characterization. It's anybody who is impacted by the war on drugs, which happens to be a, the black and brown minorities, um, but. Yeah. So so they're very tempted to say, yeah, hey, I can provide this partnership, the 20 percent um, leg up that it would, would be getting. But that's the reason that Gromentum Lab exists is because what we do is insert ourselves and say we're here to advocate and to educate and to provide resources to the social equity applicant so that maybe they don't have to actually give away 49 percent of the ownership structure of their business. Now, you mentioned anyone impacted by the war on drugs. It is primarily black and brown, not exclusively, though. Uh, what does that look like as far as someone getting an ownership stake or, or being an owner? Do they have to say, I have a conviction on my record or yeah. I lived in a community that was targeted? I mean, what, what does that look like? Yes, exactly. You have to either have been, first of all, you have to be 51% owner or more of the business. You have to either live in a certain zip code that has been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. That's a big mouthful, but it's not as much of a mouthful as saying, what are all the components of that? The income levels, the the poverty, the the lack of resources basically in those communities, or you have to have an arrest or conviction, or you have to be really closely related to somebody who has that situation. So a, a spouse, a child, a parent. So is Gromentum Labs doing a lot of training, doing uh, uh, maybe uh, connecting people with capital? What all are you doing? So we are definitely connecting people with capital to entrepreneurs. That is what we're here to do. We're also here to create an immersive, intensive educational experience to train people both as sort of like a mashup mini MBA and also um, technical skills in cannabis. It's filling a space that really the government isn't doing because the government kind of comes up with the law and implements the law. But at a certain point, there's sort of a gap in between the law and what private business is doing. And that's the role that really we hope to fill. And so how in the early stages are you are you feeling about this? Are you seeing a lot of people who are coming to Growmentum and saying, hey, can you help me with this? Is mm-hmm. there really that, that, that sort of a demand for people who really want to get involved? Absolutely. We're seeing it on all sides. We're seeing social equity applicants who need help with their application and sources of, of capital. But also 
what we've done more than sources of capital is come up with smarter ways to approach the applications so that they're able to get the same access and the same opportunity as people who are super well funded. Down the road, we will be doing more of our accelerator education program. And at that point, it really will be about getting investors who are also interested in getting into the industry, but wanting to diversify their risk. They might want to put a toe in and not have to put in $2 million right at the beginning. And this is an opportunity for them to get educated, to get comfortable with it, to not put in too much risk, but learn about it over time as well. And is there ongoing support necessary, too? I'm thinking once you get the business up and running, there's still all these nuances to running a business that a lot of people just, you're not aware of it until you're in it. Exactly. And a lot of these businesses are going to take one, two million dollars to actually can sustain over time until they can wait out some of the noise in the market that you just described. Do you expect that over time, because you're going to have more and more applicants, more and more businesses doing this, it's going to become even more competitive uh, that there will be some who make it and some who don't and those better trained or maybe more likely to make it. I mean, where, where do you see this over the next couple of years? Well, I see it really interesting. First of all, Right now, where supply and demand don't even meet each other, it's kind of like the Wild West. Yeah, they're it's, running out of weed. Absolutely. Yeah. So so there's a lot of upside for the people who get in early. Um, there's more risk, but it's also a lot bigger reward. Over time, it will get more competitive, and I think it will start to look like other industries that are tighter, more competitive. You have to be more innovative. And so where we're going to be teaching basic, basic blocking and tackling, we're going to move to more innovation, um, and be able to play a different space. I, in the future, I really hope that all of the different big players that are already in the industry here in Chicago and some of the biggest players in the country are actually headquartered here um, will come together and collaborate in an accelerator facility like ours. And that's what they do in many other industries. Healthcare has matter. Um, there are many different uh, for instance, there are many different incubators and accelerators that exist for their entire industry. And Chicago is a hub of all that. So we hope to be the same thing for the weed business. You're sensing because it is the weed business and for so long, you know, it was, you're going to jail if you're involved in this, right? There's still this taboo and it's still a little difficult for people to to really fully embrace. It's, it's just hard to believe. Hey, it's really legal. You can really do this yeah. now. On every side. I mean, from the investors who are like, huh, I'm not sure I can do this or that I want to do this or this is really something that's going to pan out or they're hearing horror stories of robberies and things like that that took place in other other states that could happen here but you know we're handling it here a lot differently too things are controlled in a different way to all the way the people of these communities of color who you know if they went to prison they're probably still having PTSD about that and to think about going into business on a topic that maybe is close to their chest, but at the same time, they don't know if they really trust or believe. There's a lot of trust issues all over the industry. Yeah. Is there a catch here? Is is this, are, are they waiting to catch me? Right. It, it almost doesn't seem real. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, you know, people are kind of walking around on eggshells a little bit, but for those people who really want to see what this is about, being involved with what we're doing and being involved in this industry, is just so exciting. There's so much to learn. Um, the medicinal value is huge and it's very promising that for in a very low cost way, in a much easier way, in a much safer way, you don't have to become addicted to meds. You don't have to be paying top dollar. Your insurance doesn't necessarily have to be. You can actually be getting some relief in pain in a much easier way than it ever has been before and take some of your own issues into your own hands. It's pretty exciting. Certainly, we will continue covering the topic of legalized recreational marijuana as it is just getting started here in Illinois. 
Thanks for joining us for this week's WBBM In-Depth Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to receive this free podcast every Wednesday. And, of course, listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the Radio.com app or on your radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cotto. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.